All right, here we go in three, two, one. What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, a podcast to promote and improve your practice as an athletic trainer. I'm Jeremy Jackson, host of the Sports Medicine Broadcast. I've got my friend John Seco and Ed, I can't say his last name, on the podcast. We were supposed to have Chad from Canada AT, but because he's got a new job, he just can't join us at this time. And so at one of these conversations, we'll... Uh, we'll arrange a time to make it in. But uh, a big shout out to John Seco as he just finished his MBA. He got an MBA in a matter of one semester. So an entire master's of business administration in healthcare in, in one semester. Uh, and we may talk about that a little bit and what it took to get that done. But this is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash leaving the profession. John has quit his job as an athletic trainer and he's moving on to something different. Ed has questions. Chad has moved on to something different. Uh, lately, I've actually been looking at some of these fully remote jobs, you know, maybe selling insurance or being an underwriter or whatever it is, something like that, because truly I love being at home. I love being at home with my wife and my kids. Um, I like what I do here as an athletic trainer. It's fun. I don't dislike it or anything like that. It's just, I would like to not have to stay, you know, miss so many bedtimes or so many weekends. And so I've been looking into those and it may be something that once the youngest kid is in school, I transition, or maybe once the kids are, you know, in high school, I transition into those fully remote jobs, something like that, but we'll see. So we got lots of questions. Ed kind of came up with most of these. And so he'll kind of be leading the conversation. So Ed, welcome back to the sports medicine broadcast. Thanks, Jeremy. Um, you say lead. I'm not much of an interviewer, so I will need your assistance. But um, no, I. When did this come up? Was this in the fall? Yeah, I, I think it came up in. It, it it probably boiled up for a lot of people, but it, for us, you know, we started having the conversation early fall. Okay. Um, and, and into maybe even the end of the summer, early fall, uh, we did see a lot of people kind of, you know, Ed, you and I had back and forth on Twitter and had just seen a lot of people grumbling and talking about job settings and, and then you'd see a lot of people leaving the profession. And then, um, and I know it's on a lot of people's minds, Jeremy, I know you, you had just mentioned it. And, uh, for me, it was, it was a year and a half of what, what am I doing? What do I value? And, uh, I think the important thing that you said, I want to reiterate is how much I love the profession. I'm still involved in it. I'm still, I'm, I'm our president elect for Matt's uh, and I want to be involved in it as much as possible, but there was a breaking point. And I think Ed, you know, you were at that point too. We had discussed salaries and contracts and uh, how to go about those things. And, you know, we'd spoke with with Chad, I'd spoke with a handful of other people. I know uh, Victoria Morris had posted that she had left her position and, and moved on to another position. And, um, you know, we, we just kind of saw a lot of people and, and it brought up this idea like, hey, let's have this conversation. And and I know the first time we did this, we had a lot of response from uh, all over the place and people that were willing to take some time out and listen and wanted to reach out and say how much they appreciated it and how much uh, it spoke to them. And uh, I think we've had a handful of other people make that decision and change things around since our first uh, try at this, this interview. Um, but uh, yeah, it has been something that's whether it's COVID, whether it's the, the nature of everything, or just the fact that we are seeing it more and more uh, people are leaving the profession or leaving their current settings for something different. Uh, and it's there, there's a plenty, plenty of different reasons why, and uh, I think this is going to be really another good conversation. So to address the comments there from John, this is our second attempt at this conversation because we got about 36 minutes in, and then my computer pretty much shut down. So if you're like watching on Facebook or YouTube, it was kind of cutting in and out or choppy. And that's why, because my computer was basically dying as we were talking about this. So this is the second attempt, but my computer has been holding up well. Um, and so we're not doing the live stream. However, we will post it on Facebook and YouTube as well as the podcast. So thanks for joining us. And it did take a lot to reschedule this. We've been trying to reschedule this for like two or three months since we did that. Um, so with that being said, take it away, Ed. 
Yeah. I mean, the reason I wanted to address this is like what John was saying. It's a trend we're, we're seeing all over the place, but I feel like when it was getting to be last summer, early fall, seeing the number of very passionate professionals start leaving was kind of what concerned me the most. Cause like following John on, on Twitter and seeing all the work he's done developing his uh, medical timeout and how he advocates for EAP. Um, seeing Chad with candid athletic training, really advocating for the profession there. And then still at the end of the day, they left their current job, especially in the traditional setting. That's, that's where I'm based. Um, that's where my passion is for treating patients. And it just, it, it kind of took me by surprise and a little scary for me because similar demographic and I mean, dealing with the same issues. So I just was more curious what led them to making that leap of faith um, to leave and, and pursue other things that really takes time to invest in themselves. So that's, that's where I wanted to have this conversation. Um, so I think originally back, my first question was, is like, we we're discussing the AT shortage um, because people can't find athletic trainers, but is it really an athletic training shortage or are we seeing this because I'm more focused on the traditional setting that they're just not pursuing the traditional setting that there's actually not a shortage. So recently, like I was looking at my website and there's a picture of John and Ellis Mayer from go for Ellis or which is now go for, um, talking at NATA, I think it was in Las Vegas. And you can see both of them are just laughing, having a great conversation. And it just reminds me every time of the conversation that, that Ellis was talking about the, with the app, you can see like the prices get driven up because they, other companies can see, Oh, this job is being taken and this one isn't. And so there's the, like with go for Ellis, it just connects the amount. And I think, I think, that's similar to what we're doing here on Twitter or Facebook or whatever it is. All these athletic trainers are seeing, Hey, there's, there's other options. I don't have to take this. I don't have to take this. You know, and John, you mentioned Victoria Morris. She realized, Hey, I don't have to take this. She's been part of a series with me and we, you know, we still have to continue doing that series, but she's had a huge, you know, change in profession. And I think there, there's been a, there's a shortage of ATs willing to, to just take it to just take it. And so now they're willing to make the move or, or change things for that. Yeah. And I think part of that, it comes from, and this may just be my perspective or maybe my, my little bit older perspective is when I came into the profession, I took a position division one college and it was because it was division one college. It was, um, it was $23,000, but it had great benefits. Like I remember that, that conversation you have great benefits. And I actually really did. And I bought into that, but I was 21 years old. I just graduated my master's and I thought if I want to be anything as an athletic trainer, I need to work division one. I need to have a master's degree. And, you know, you go in and you get your master's degree, you put yourself in more debt, and then you work a job that cannot literally pay for your food. And, you know, and it wears you down. And I, I'm so happy to see that people aren't doing that anymore. They're seeing job postings for uh, whatever the price is right now. And, and I haven't looked at the job board, but, um, you know, these entry-level jobs are nowhere close to being paid what I was paid that first job. But then again, that job was 15 years ago. And I'm still happy to say like, hey, if a job gets posted at $50,000 um, and it's entry level, that's okay. That's that's a good start. But like people are holding off from applying for those jobs because they don't know if that 50,000 is it. What's the, what's, what's the inflation rate? Are you gonna get more? Are you gonna get a cost of living raise? Um, People are asking those questions now, questions that I had no idea I was able to ask when I was that age and when I was taking those jobs. It took me quite a long time to ask for that, those raises uh, and, and how you get made, how, how you are made to feel when you ask those questions um, and the legality of, of those questions 
is something that I didn't understand either. Uh, my first raise was from 23 to 30. And I remember sitting in the, in the, in the conference room with our AD at the time, the rat of a human being he is. And he said to us, he goes, you know how lucky you are to even be able to ask for this raise. And I was like 22 and I was like, Oh God, I must be, must be really lucky. I, I'm my apologies for asking, you know, like it was coming out of his pocket and, you know, fast forward to six months ago when I had another conversation with our HR director and he basically said the same thing. I, I wasn't going to stand up for that, but what happened was there was a 15 year gap in me learning that lesson. And I think what we're having now is people come out knowing that lesson, knowing some of their value and not standing up or standing up for what they want. And then you're seeing those prices drive up a little bit more. I think another thing you're seeing too, is people are more willing to share their, their salaries. I was very open and honest and I, I still can be with my salary when, when I left. I know I was the highest paid person in my county, which is probably top whatever in the state. I wasn't happy with it. And that's okay to not be happy with it. It's okay to want more for yourself and for your family. And I was very open with sharing my salary, sharing my contract, sharing what I left with, um, and, and sharing the conversation that I had with my HR when I wanted that raise too. So that's what I'm happy to see is, is people are, are more willing to hold out for something that they believe in because they know and understand their value. So would you tell like a, a soon to be grad, if you get into those conversations and you hear that phrase, we have a great benefits package. Cause even if they do have a great benefits package, should there, should that be a red flag? if they're going to try and oversell that when they ask about compensation. Yeah. You know, look for the red flags and that is definitely, it's not overall a, a major one, but if it's, if that's the major selling point, if the facilities are your major selling point, well, Hey, we may have great facilities, but I can't take those facilities home and pay my bills. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I laugh at, and I fell into this, I laugh at the people with these massive budgets. I can buy that. I can buy the sideline ER and put it up and blah, blah, blah. But did you buy that or did your budget buy that? Yeah. And are you able to make your bills? Are you able to live comfortably? Are you able to do X, Y, and Z? Mm -hmm. You know, those are red flags. Um, benefits are great. Absolutely, we all need benefits, and they need to be afforded by your employer. And um, but if it's if it's the major selling point, and they won't discuss salaries, you know, if they don't want to talk about Bruno, like something's up, right? And um, you know, you 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 have to be able to push and ask those questions. Okay, if my salary is this today, what's it going to be in a year? And how willing are you? able to have that discussion with my my salary in a year or can i see the balance statement can i see the financial statements of this this uh, organization or this department or whatever and see this person is getting paid here i'm going to get paid here and where do we compare at here we have a lot of athletic trainers that have master's degrees a lot of athletic tra trainers that have their dat's and are not getting paid comparative to other professions that we can and should be uh, comparing ourselves to. And that's something I did when I left my last job was, here are the professions that are medical professions, according to the state of Michigan, the same as an athletic trainer should be, is, is, and how come my salary is down here and these four people are getting paid double when I'm getting paid? We still have to do the same thing for the state of Michigan. And in fact, my license is more expensive than these three people here. So why are my, why is my salary not here? Especially when I've been here for 10 plus years. And, and a lot of people don't like that question being asked, but that's not my fault. And, and you should be comfortable with asking those things. And of course there's, there's ways to go about it. There's ways to, you know, soften the blow when you have those conversations, you definitely want to kick in a door and, 
and throw down a piece of paper and start demanding, you know, but you have to be able to phrase those questions appropriately so that you can open up communication and have a conversation about it. And, and do you think for someone who approaches that conversation for the first time, because no employer wants to have that conversation, like you said, so there's always, they're always met with, with resistance. Does that, does that first time conversation that that athletic trainer having that, does that make that, do you think that makes them feel less valued? So they're more apt to leave without trying and trying again. I'm not saying that they, they should, if, if depending on how, but I'm wondering are some people leaving just after one attempt, depending. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I think what's the old adage? How do you eat an elephant? one bed at a time, right? Like you should never go into the conversation wanting everything at the same time, first time around. You need to be able to phrase those things, write them out, plan, set goals for those conversations and understand that it can be a year long process. It can be a six month process. You're never gonna get everything that you want right away um, because they're going to have to go back, the HR person, the, the administrative person, they're going to have to go back to look at their budget. They're going to have to go back and ask their questions or, uh, you know, their supervisor's questions. Um, so, you know, you may ask the question, you may not get an answer for a month. Um, and within that month, what else are you doing for the next conversation? What, what uh, details do you need to be able to provide um, your supervisors so that they can advocate for you? Uh, and that's a lot of times... We've talked about this in the leadership series. Um, the person that is above you only knows what they know. And you can provide them with more information so that they can make a better decision. Same thing goes with, with salary raises. You need to be able to provide the reasons why you deserve a, a raise. And was, this, was your position written for somebody with only a certain amount of education was there a state licensure act enacted since you've signed that, that contract or since that contract was written? What are the changes in our profession? Because there's been a lot of changes recently, and there's going to con continue to be changes within our profession that are going to impact your revenue as an athletic trainer, as an individual. So how can you go to your supervisors and make them aware? So those are all conversations that have to be made and they're going to have to be probably different conversations. And yes, it is a game with it. Like you're going to walk in and the easiest thing for a supervisor or HR person to do is say no. And when you bite and say, okay, and walk out, like they've won, you know, you, you have to be able to sit and sit across from an HR person, ask and make your demand and then sit and wait for them to answer. And if they say no, you can ask why, why, why not? They may not be, be prepared for that, you know? So, you know, have a little bit behind you and, and have a little bit, you know, of, of, you have to be willing to be let down and understand that you will be let down because once you kind of get over that, that rejection, that feeling of rejection, it makes it a lot easier to ask those questions. John, do you, or did you know the, the hierarchy? So like if I, if I look right now, I have, um, a campus athletic coordinator, I have obviously my campus principal and campus assistant principal. And then there is also a district athletic trainer. And then there is the, the district, uh, athletic coordinator and then the people above them and above them and above them. I honestly don't even know which one is my direct supervisor, right? And so I think for me, a good start would be to to draw out a map or a hierarchy of, okay, well, here's the top, here's a superintendent, and then all the steps that I would need to go through to talk to and go and say, hey, I, you know, can we look at getting NATA paid for? Or can we, can we do this and that, you know? And so I, I would need to know the steps of where to go and who to go to rather than just, let me just talk to this person. Well, that's not the right person. Let me talk to this person. That's not the right person. I think that'd be a good map. Did you have that? And then Ed, same thing. Do you have that? Yeah, ours was pretty simple. Uh, but having an understanding of your organization chart is incredibly important. 
because you you need to know who your supervisor is. And I think most athletic trainers understand who their supervisor is, but then it gets lost after that. You have to be able to, to be able to approach your supervisor. And if they can't get that thing done, you need to know who their supervisor is so you can expedite the process. If they're just not willing to answer you, if they're not willing to make a change and you have a good reason why that change needs to happen, you need to be able to go around that person. Now, it doesn't mean go around that person right away. It's it's attempt your supervisor, attempt your supervisor again, then expedite, go to the next one. Um, or how can I provide information to my supervisor's supervisor so that it makes his decision a lot easier? Um, understanding those things, because if, if there's four or five people above you, then you know that your request is gonna to have to go through those four or five people and understand where the link in the chain is that's weak so that you can help um, educate that person. And then another important thing is understand who the advocates and friends are of those people within that hierarchy. So if you know your superintendent is really close with this parent or this, this person, it's always worth it to go nudge elbows with that person too and say, hey, you know, here's here's something that I've been thinking about or, you know, hey, this is how much I make so that it puts that bug into that that person's ear too to help a little bit. Um, now, I wouldn't always do that because then you can kind of look like a brown noser, like somebody who's always just got an angle or trying to work an angle. Um, but if there's something you really truly believe in, like your salary, then it is worth it to go rub elbows with that person. Maybe drop them a little bit of information so that information gets moved on to that person you know it's going to get to. So yeah, org, org charts are incredibly important. Yeah, do you know yours? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really simple here, which is nice. Um, so I'm part of a, a state college system. So we have our on-campus, um, basically, chain of command. So that one's really easy to navigate. And then from there, the top person here goes to what I call the mothership <laughs> of the uh, of the upper admin for the entire system. So once it gets once it gets to the mothership, I don't really know how it goes, but um, getting there is very simple. So John, is that important for him to understand the mothership or just basically all of the steps between him and the mothership? They all kind of carry equal importance. I think the person above you or the closest to you holds more importance. You know, it's um, you definitely need to understand the whole organization, who's at the top, who's in the mothership, um, but understand how to communicate with your immediate supervisor is, is incredibly important. Yeah, and uh, fortunately for me, I've never had any issues with the communication. So the navigation, yeah. where the breakdown happens is between my direct institution and then the overall systemic administration that we have. Yeah. So then then that goes on to you. How can you understand that more and where can you bridge that gap in communication? And, and you know, it may just be a geographic gap. It sounds like it is for you. I, you know, how can you is there is there somebody that you can drive to to go meet and discuss with or, um, you know, it's it, there. There's a lot of different things that you can do there. So. Now, kind of, kind of changing pace, leading up to you leaving your your former setting. What were what were some of the red flags that you saw, that you experienced, and then with those, once you left, did you look back and said, "Well, wow, I saw this a long time ago," ignored it, or didn't really bother me that much? But now looking back it should have bothered me a lot more. <laughs> yeah. Um, there, there was a lot, there was, you know, for me before I left, it was about a year and a half long process. Um, we had hired a new superintendent that was going to be like, this is the, the best, um, person for our district. He's going to, he's an athletic guy. He's, he knows, you know, things to handle and how to, how to discuss and blah, blah, blah. And he was, he was super nice and listened and, and at least appeared to be an active listener. Um, COVID happened and then everything went out the window. He became a yes man. He became a, um, you know, he, he was very, he promised a ton of things that never delivered on. 
and these things were all happening over the year. And this is when I started asking for my salary. And, um, you know, he started saying, Hey, you know, we value you. We understand you, you deserve more. And, um, you know, he, he wrote it in an email, um, that I was going to get a $10,000 raise. And, um, and then when that raise came around, it was nowhere close to that. It was like 1500 bucks. I'm like, okay, well that's illegal. Um, so there goes a red flag, but then you start recognizing the culture in which I was at and, and the culture for this school was, it, it's hard to put into words. It was like, there's nothing else like the, the school that I was at. Um, we threw a ton of money in our, in our athletics, uh, but we're not good at all. Um, the things that they valued, things that the families valued, you kind of thought as this is kind of normal, but then you realize it's not normal at all. Um, it was very, 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 very political for a high school. Um, you know, if, if you spoke bad about one person and that person was friends with this person, it was, it was came back on you very negatively. Um, we had fired a coach that was probably one of our better coaches because um, parents didn't like them. Um, you know, you recognize some of the culture around it. Um, and, and, you know, I, we, we had a, a lot of race issues within our district um, that either I recognized or I ignored. Um, and when I was able to recognize them, I kind of, nobody acted on them because it's just the way it was around here. Um, and it made it very difficult for me. Uh, I started noticing things and I was just like, these are red flags, how we treat certain people, how we uh, discuss certain parents and families were red flags. And I, I wasn't comfortable with it. After I had left, um, there was graffiti at our school um, that was very, very negative. It was very derogatory. It was very racist. And it, it came out about the district, how incredibly racist this families and students were um, and how a lot of the things got swept under the rug. And it was nice that I wasn't a part of it, but at the same time, it didn't make me feel good um, because I essentially being there and, and turning a blind eye, like so many people do and did, um, you know, because it was the way it was, um, it didn't make me feel good. And, and I, I'm happy I left because of some of those things. Um, I'm happy I left because of the salesman tactics that were being used for so many people. Um, when I left, there was like a mass exodus as well. Uh, a lot of good teachers and professionals had left because they just couldn't do it anymore. Um, and that's where I was at too. You know, when I got that, that notification that I wasn't gonna get the salary that was promised to me, I was like, all right, my bags are getting packed tomorrow. I need to know what my next move is because at the end of the month, I am not here anymore. And, and uh, I think another red flag for me with being an athletic trainer, one of the things that we pride ourselves on as athletic trainers is our ability to connect with our students and our, our athletes. When I left, I was kind of like taking a look around the room and I was like, I have no connections with my students right now. That's something that is very, very different from a year ago and very different from when I first started and how close I was with our students going to graduation parties, saying bye to people, you know, seeing people in college or, or things like that. I just didn't have that anymore. And that for me as the athletic trainer was like, okay, it's time to move on from here because I don't have the connection with my students anymore. Um, and that was hard. That was, that was a really difficult thing for me. All right. So you've mentioned this, you know, about having the conversations. It's really hard. It's really intimidating to have that conversation about, Hey, this is what I want. This is what I want. Right. Um, and you know, it's easy enough to send an email saying, Hey, this is what I would like. So there are a ton of people out there, you know, even like talking about your students, I have one student, she works at, um, it's, which is like a, a bowling and can, um, arcade game and like pizza buffet type thing. And she's like, yeah, I should be getting a raise. I'm hoping it's a dollar, but it may just be a quarter or something like that. I'm like, I'm like, well, just ask them. Say, hey, look, I'm, I've am i been here for a year and a half. I'm a really dependable worker. I'm always here. I would like to get a raise. Just, you know, you need to just ask them. It's easy for me to say that to her. 
However, whenever I've talked about, oh yeah, I need to kind of put together a presentation for the school board so I can talk about what our athletic trainers do, what we do, and you know how we could help with the junior highs, why we need to get additional ones. I just haven't done it. And partly because it's a, over like a daunting task to collect that data, to put that presentation together, to make sure, you know, I present it to, again, my unclear level of supervisors and then get their approval and move up and move up, move up that way. But it's also because I'm afraid that it won't work or because I don't know how to have that conversation. I know uh, most of the school board members, I know the superintendent, like she saw me face to face, she'd probably, you know, recognize me, know my name. I know, you know, a lot of the people, but it's having that hard conversation. So I, <sighs> you have to be willing to be rejected. Yeah. And that's the fear. Like that's fear with all of us. That's the fear that I had the most is you don't want to ask the question because you, you're going to get rejected. You don't want to, you don't want to have that feeling of rejection. And like we've all been rejected, like we've all, you know, gone through something that that has rejected us personally, and had, and and we've carried that feeling of rejection, and that's a good thing because then it makes you aware of what it's going to feel like. So, you know, you have to be calculated on how you do these things, but that fear that's within you can grow and grow and grow, and when you need to ask the right questions, when you need to have to ask those very, very difficult questions. It makes it really hard to do that. But at the end of the day, it's a no. How is that no going to affect you? And and that's the answer. That's the question you have to ask yourself. And then if they say no, what are the next steps that I'm going to take? So you can lay out a plan of how you're going to ask the questions and the information and things like that. But what we should be working on too is is the questions that need to be asked after a potential no. Don't just think that they're gonna say no. Don't be okay with a no. There's a potential for a no. What are the next steps there? It's the same with our EAPs. Like what's gonna happen if your AED is out in the gym? What do you do next? Do you just say, forget it, I'm done. Can't do it anymore. You just sit next to the person. No, you go get the AED that's in, you know, the athletic training room. You go get the AED that's in your cart. You know, what's the third, fourth step you'd have to do? Like, treat it like that. Treat these very, very important personal decisions and questions and, and decisions that you're going to ask and do. Treat them the same way as, as an EAP. Okay, step one doesn't work. What do you do step two? Like, think of it that way. And that's how I had to start thinking about those things because once I got those no's, okay, I'm going to ask again soon. I'm going to ask this person next time. The first time I asked the, the question, hey, I'd love to get a raise and I think I deserve this. Okay, why do you think that? Oh, I don't know. So the next time I had to go around and say, okay, I think that because X, Y, Z, I'm going to present those things to you so that when you ask that question again, I have an answer for you. And then what happens when they say no again? Okay, well, here's the other set of information. Or you ask the question and be prepared for the worst case scenario, which we do so, so well as athletic trainers. And they say, that's a really good point. You know what? You do deserve that raise. We're going to put that into the next school board meeting. And you're like, okay, well, I just did all that work. Not for nothing it helped you get that answer. So yeah, we have to be willing to be rejected. We have to understand what that feeling of rejection is going to feel like and how do we mitigate that feeling? And it's provide more and more answers and provide more and more information for those people who are going to potentially say yes or potentially say no. All right. So six months removed from full-time athletic training, right? Obviously you said you're the president elect. What are your takeaways insights? Obviously there's been a whole change because you've taken an MBA, a whole, you know, two-year program in a matter of six months. And you've talked about organization charts and all the different stuff. And you get to see, Oh, Hey, this is what I should have done or had been doing. Right. So what, give, give us some insights about athletic trainers leaving the profession from 
the day you left, which was I think in October, in, end of October until yep. now. Oh, I, I'm happy to see more and more people stick up for what they believe in. I'm happy to see more and more people ask those very difficult questions of this is the reason why I want to raise. Um, I'm happy to see more and more people ask more questions too, be willing to share their information with other people within their area. Um, that was one of the things that I saw as soon as I left, it was like a flood of people just saying, Hey, what did you say? What was the information you provided? And do you think that could help me or what can I build on from that information? Um, you know, I, I think understanding financials, is incredibly important. It's something that we don't get as athletic trainers um, that I learned a lot about in my MBA is like understanding where money comes from, understanding where money is um, held, um, it, the importance of asking certain, you know, financial questions. And um, those are things that I think people should kind of dive into more. Um, like I said, ask, ask, to see the balance statement, ask to see the financial statements. Because if somebody is getting paid $200,000 and has the same credentials as you or same, same, you know, whatever, same years, then, you know, hey, ask that question, why is my salary not comparable to this person's? Now, you may not make it all the way up there, but there's a good chance that you get that raise because then you're asking the question that probably has never been asked before. And I can I guarantee whoever the, um, the administrative person is or whoever the the accountant is isn't going to go through the, the statement and say oh you know what these two people are getting paid differently we should make a change they're just going to take a look at the numbers make sure that they balance at the end and be done with it nobody's really ever looking out for you so you have to look out for yourself and look at those balance statements um i, th I think i said this in the past we were we operated on a 90 million dollar budget for a high school 90 million dollars so when I asked the question, can I get more money? And they said, I don't think we have the money for that. That's BS because I know those balance statements. I've looked at those financial statements and I know that there's money sitting in this fund here. And I know that this person gets paid substantially more than I do. And you're automatically saying no. And here's the information why I deserve more. And when they come back and say no again, or give me some BS as to why it's not going to work, then that's my sign that I've done everything I can do. You're not willing to budge. And my value is greater than what you value me at. And those things, because those don't match, I'm out of here. I'll go find somewhere that does value me. Yeah, I would, I think that's the thing that makes me most nervous about pursuing those conversations when I want to have them. Um, I think as a young professional and a lot of young professionals, and I'm speaking the traditional setting, okay, you went to college, you had faculty that cared about you. So then you go to work into a college and you think it's one of those nice loving communities where everyone supports each other. Um, and then that just doesn't happen. Not, not everybody, but from an administrative standpoint, you don't get that. And that's the thing that's kind of, that was sugarcoated from me when I was an athletic training student, the, the struggles that the athletic trainers had on the political side of the job. Um, so now that being 12 years in, uh, 10 years post-grad school, I'm finally starting to navigate all that. Um, and it started out with my starting salary 10 years ago is 35,000. I try and tell every new person, set the bar higher because the school, the schools, um, that all my students, uh, former students have tried to get jobs at are still starting at where I started 10 years ago and, and really trying to hammer home, like, even if it's not a great starting salary, ask other questions like what else does it offer in terms of like how many staff are there? What's the expectation? Because <laughs> if it's here's your salary and you're going to be working 60 hours a week for, for, for 11 months, then that's, that's not good. <laughs> but like for me, like 
Desmond's sick from and can't go to daycare, I can bring him in. There's other places where there people are not allowed to bring their kids, so then they have to take a day off and stuff. So like I, I have that balance. But going back to my original point, I think what scares me the most is like I have a certain view on my value, which is very biased. But being afraid of what how others value what I do. And that's okay to have a biased view of your own value. Mm-hmm. Like if you don't have a biased view of your own value, then there's some restructuring that has to happen within yourself. Yeah. Like I have a very biased view of myself and that's okay. I think we all should, Yeah. Um, but it's, how do you, how do you appropriately say that to somebody who is, you know, potentially going to give you more money and understand I shouldn't have said it that way. Cause this is what got said to me is, um, I have to be, I have to move money around so that you could get paid more. All right, pal, it's not coming out of your own pocket. It's coming out of that budget that's sitting right there. Like, don't say I have to. Okay. Like it is definitely not coming out of your pocket. It's coming out of that budget. That's coming from the stakeholders. It's coming from the residents of this community that get paid very, very well. So yes, you can afford a little bit more because guess what? That superintendent that just got hired a year ago, snaked his way into a twenty thousand, another twenty thousand dollar raise within one year. So when I ask for a couple thousand dollars more, and you say we can't do it, I know you're bullshitting me. Like, so that's me having a biased view of myself that is going to fuel those responses. And like, you know, yeah, there's there's times where you know, honey gets what is it? Jeremy, you're going to have to help me out on this one. What is it? Honey attracts more flies than vinegar. Something, something like that. that. Yeah. So, you know, you're going to have to be calculated and, 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 and soft with your delivery. But then there's going to have to be times where you have to, to rely on that biased view of yourself to stand your ground when that person says no or gives you some answer like that and not accept that answer. And that's like I had to do that. Like when he said, I can't do this because I have to move money around. Like I just sat there in his office and stared at him. Didn't give him an ant, didn't give him a, an opening to, to change or to say something like that. Like I, I sat there and stared at him. I pulled the old Dwight Schrute, looked at him right here between the eyes and wouldn't let him walk away from that answer. And then when he kind of stumbled and, and realized like I knew what I was talking about, he like changed his tone and things like that. But I had already realized at that point, like, listen, they're not going to, they don't value me as much as I value myself. And I'm going to walk. And that's, that's part of the reason that's, you know, a major reason, but it was part of the reason why I left was my value and how much they valued me wasn't adding up. And I knew what my value was because I'm very biased about my view and my, and how I, value myself. So as we're talking about value, I want to pause for a commercial break. Not really, but <clears throat> so in April, one year ago, Sarah and I paid off our house. We're hundred percent debt free. So this may, my coworker, Sophia will be paying off her student loans. She'll be hundred percent debt free as well. And so we took the financial peace university from Dave Ramsey. Uh, I talked with Jared Plummer about that before, but the financial situation really changes where you stand on this, your, your walk away power. And I would encourage all athletic trainers to get your financial situation in order so that if you need to walk away like John, if you need to take six months away like John, then you can, you can make that move. I mean, even Victoria, she talked about it. Um, you know, she, she was not making a bunch of money and all this, you know, she was working a whole bunch, like Ed said, you know, 60 hours a week, that kind of thing. And a whole lot of stress, and so she was just willing to take that risk. But if you're drowning in debt, it's a lot harder to leave the profession because you have that that as well. So even just having a, a plan for what you're going to do financially, just, okay, well, um, you know what? I'm going to stop doing this, this, and this so that I can save up $2,000, $3,000, um, you know, or whatever it is, $5,000 worth of rent so that I can spend the next three months looking for a new job, that kind of thing. So I think it's a really good reminder. If you're going to leave, 
guys to kind of start planning or start planning now in case you do need to leave in case it gets really bad. Um, financially that that's a huge influencer. Um, and it makes a big difference to where like, I'm like, okay, I'm hundred percent debt free. I could actually not work for six months and pay all my bills. So if I wanted to take in six months and get a master's, I could, it would just make it really, really tight since I have five kids. Right. And it may not be good for the foster care system to say, Oh wait, he just quit his job. We got to take those kids away. So yeah. I'm not going to do that just because of my situation. I'm a single income earner for seven of us, but it's a huge game changer changer when you don't have all those bills draining your account and you don't have to work to pay for what you, you know, the, your pay for your past. So I know we're talking about AT shortages, talking about the governing body. Um, you know, it's again, six months removed for John from leaving his job, but then Kathy Derringer has taken over to lead the NATA as, um, as a business owner. Right. And so we kind of talk a little bit about like the governing bodies. And I always want to mention that we, as the athletic trainers are the governing bodies. We have to vote. We have to advocate. We have to do this stuff. They're not going to, they're not going to come in to our schools. They're not going to come in and tell our administrators, well, you have to pay them more. Well, thanks, but I don't know you, but they provide us lots of, lots of resources. So I know Ed had a question about, um, are these, is the, is this what they wanted when they moved to the M8, the Masters of Athletic Training? Or were they wanting this athletic trainer shortage? So what are your thoughts there, guys? Yeah, so to kind of add on to that, because in my opinion, I don't think it's necessarily athletic trainers are just leaving the profession. Yes, that's happening. But I'm, I'm thinking it's more of athletic trainers are leaving the traditional setting, which is the highest percentage of athletic trainers in the profession and they're not going back because there's increases in industrial setting but as we do progress to this masters of athletic training we're working on being rec- more recognized as healthcare professionals because what we've been doing is not good enough and that's how i think the the boc and the katie are seeing that so do they want that to happen in terms of like get out of there because as long as we're in that setting we're just going to be seen as ankle tampers and water boys and create. And so like athletic trainers that are going to stick in the traditional setting might not even be supported as well by our governing bodies as they were before. Yeah. I know from a Matt's perspective, we're definitely noticing it and um, you know, we're trying everything we're, we can do with our COPA and, um, and opening up communication with those athletic trainers. I think that was one of the things that prior to a couple of years ago, um, a lot of people didn't feel like they could communicate with their governing bodies. And I think we saw that a lot with the NATA and, and Tori being more open with, especially this podcast being on here, open to like, Jeremy, I know we've sent him an email like, hey, Tori, could you be on a podcast next Tuesday? Be like, yeah, absolutely. And he would jump on and, and he would be open to it. Kathy's open to it. Um, you know, that's, that's important is because now we have the ear of the people that are in charge. So now we're able to communicate with them, our actual needs, what we want. It's really easy to, to sit in a boardroom and to sit with an executive team or to sit with, um, you know, just, just our board members and say, okay, we've got this all figured out because us 10 in the room are in this, in this room and things are pretty good. Uh, but once I reach out, once we talk to our reps, once I go out and I, I, I worked the state wrestling tournament <clears throat> a year, a year ago, a month ago. And um, I, I took that as a time for me to be able to communicate with the athletic trainers on the ground, the kids that were literally just starting their first job within the last month. Um, some of the athletic trainers that have been around for 25 years, what are they noticing? in their practice that can help us at an executive uh, board within the state of Michigan. And with Kathy being vocal, with Kathy being open and and being on our podcast, being on other podcasts um, and and communicating with people, it opens that change uh, or at least the understanding for what is important to the typical athletic trainer, whatever the typical athletic trainer may be. 
Because because I will say this, my my biggest concern with the trend that I'm noticing is, and I'm very pro traditional setting. I'll say that I'll die on that hill. I know it's not popular if you go on AT Twitter, um, but we have. And if I had a memory like my copper, I could just dump numbers all over the place, but. We, as as a nation, we we're not doing very well having an athlete, just one athletic trainer in every high school. I, I I don't know the percentages, but now with with people leaving the traditional setting, now we have less. And if you had a staff of athletic trainers, now you're doing it with less athletic trainers. So now there's a huge patient population that was already underserved that's going to be even more underserved. Um, that that is the biggest fear. I have, and that's why I'm very curious in watching all these people leaving to take jobs as say Amazon, because Amazon pays a lot more than these traditional settings in high schools and colleges. And it's it's a nine to five. It, it's that ideal workplace, um, but trying to figure out and how to advocate for others to try and make the traditional setting better. Because as I said, the healthcare that these individuals are going to be getting is, in my opinion, it's still going to be good, but not as good because you're going to get less athletic trainers, more burnt out, more tired. So. Yeah, it, it is interesting because we, there, there's definitely an inverse relationship with that. You know, the, the more people that want to stick around or, you know, they, they may be more seasoned and, you know, if we get younger people in, they may not be able to recognize certain injuries or know how to treat things, whatever, but it all comes with, with learning on the job. Um, yeah, that's, that's a interesting point. And we definitely want more as a profession, as a group of professionals, we all want more. And I think that's a really good starting point. Standing up and saying, working in the traditional setting and saying, you know what? It is a little crazy that I work 60 hours a week and then sticking to your guns with that. When you say that to an AD and they say, shut up and work more, or, you know, you should be doing this more. Well, you don't really understand my profession. So here's how I should educate you with the profession and what, what we bring to the table. Um, but then sticking to your guns and saying, full time is 40 hours. I'm 20 hours past that. I'm going to scale back because this is what you are paying me for. The more you work, the less your value is. I think that's the thing that we got stuck into was, especially when I came out and, and it was like, you need to work your, your, you know, down to your bone. You need to be out there uh, on Sunday at, at 8 PM because you need to be the last one off the field and, and this and this and that. And we're recognizing that we do not have to do that anymore. So the more you work, the less your value drops. Because when you go back and ask for that money and they say, but you're happy working 60 hours. You do it all the time without ever people asking you. Well, we've put ourselves in that hole. And that's something that athletic trainers are really good at. We've put ourselves into a hole. We've given more than our value is worth it's time for us to start taking that back and scaling those things back. So yes, you're in a traditional setting. Doesn't mean that you shouldn't be held to the standard of a traditional workday. Now I get it. You're never going to walk in at nine and leave at five. You're never going to be Fred Flintstone sliding off the, the dinosaur after the bell rings, right? Like we all want that. It's just not going to happen, but it doesn't mean that you can't adjust your schedule. It doesn't mean that maybe today I'm working seven to three. Maybe tomorrow I'm working seven to seven to seven, but what about Wednesday? How about I, I work nine to four, nine to three? How about I scale it back here? Okay. I'm working over the weekend. I'm going to take Tuesday and Wednesday off because you can take those days off. I want athletic trainers to understand this. You can take days off. Like, please take them off. Your athletes are going to be okay. And if they're not, it's not because you took a day off, like take those days off. Like you're only going to see those days 
after you leave. And if you plan on never leaving your job, you're never going to see those days back. Take the days off. Hold yourself to a standard. Care for yourself the same way you would care about somebody else. And that's something we don't do. And we need to do a better job of. Yeah. I think one of the most valuable lessons I learned. So I'm a 10-month contract. And I would have my phone on year-round answering questions from coaches about uh medical booklets having athletes call out saying they got hurt over the summer and last summer after um after covid all the extra work my my boss me and my other coworkers had to do i put my phone on do not disturb for two whole months and i remember that first week constantly checking my phone nothing to by the end of the first month of my summer i stopped checking it because no one reached out yeah. and figuring out that the world does does keep spinning while while i'm not working sorry i got co-workers peeking in my office <laughs> and make me laugh but um yeah i think i think i'm learning to step away because i i was like that i mean i started this job single yeah and uh not, that's and you know that's funny you know you, you started the job single and i I started my job single and my wife now, like when I would use the phone a lot, she's like, why are you on your phone? Why are you on your phone in bed at 10 o'clock at night answering a question from, you know, a student? I'm like, well, it's just the way it is. Like, that's my job. She's like, why, why is your job that way? Well, I couldn't answer that question. So I'm like, okay, I don't have to do that anymore. And if I return a text message or if I return an email, or if I don't respond to a text message, the world keeps spinning, man. Yeah. You know, it's not because we didn't answer it and it's okay to do those things. Yeah. I I'm even to the point and I've said this, it's gotta be well near 5,000 times this school year. I'm all about email. Do yeah. not text me. You Please. text me, I ignore it. Please. And, and, and some kids just don't get it. If it's, if it's a kid who texts me, I'd be like, email me. <laughs> That's all they get. Yeah. I, I'm the same way. I, and I, I had to learn that lesson. Thank God, because of my wife. Um, and it got easier in COVID because there was so much junk going through and so many questions and things like that. I could not, I could not go back and find it through text message. It's easier to find it in email. And that was my reason. That was my main reason. Like, okay, hey, stop texting me. I'm still going to get the email on my phone right next to my text message, but at least I can go back and categorize it. At least I can go back and have a record of it. So if I do have somebody say something to me, I have record of it on an email because now it's a legal document, right? Yeah. But it's the same way. Like I don't need a text message and I can turn off certain things too. Mm -hmm. Just because your phone's next to you doesn't mean that it has to be on. doesn't mean that you have to answer those text messages or emails. Mm -hmm. The world keeps spinning. Take those days off. Take those hours. Spend time with yourself and your family. That pays more than actually the job will. All right. So, John, six months ago, you left the profession, started your MBA. Uh, obviously, you married, had a kid, you know, a lot of, lot of life changes for you. Um, how do you feel like the profession has treated you since leaving it? And then we're going to close it with that. I've gotten nothing but respect from my colleagues. Um, a, a lot of people, I don't, I don't want to sound big headed, but a lot of people here knew who I am. Obviously I'm the president elect. I was the voice for our, our county and our, our kind of tri county area. Um, you know, I was the person that people went to, to ask questions. I was the person that um, people were the most comfortable with. I was the, the, the athletic trainer that every school knew that they were going to get taken care of. Um, those coaches, administrators knew who I was. So when I left, it was nothing but respect from those individuals. What happened? Why did we leave? Why did you leave? Is my athletic trainer going to leave because you left? Getting those types of questions. And having the ability to answer honestly without any regard of how it was going to affect me or my position like I wasn't going to get kicked out of school, you know, like I was able to answer questions very, very open and honestly and raw. 
And uh, the, the question got asked to me when I worked the state tournament, uh, a neighboring athletic director was like, what happened? Why, why'd you leave? What, you know, I can't believe this and that. And I was able to answer him very open and honest. But when I left, the, the community of athletic trainers that was around me was incredibly respectful. They loved it. They understood. They knew. They saw that I had a family. They saw that those things were incredibly important to me. You know, I was the person that would travel to the away games. Yeah, hey, I'll travel up north for a, a one basketball game and, you know, sit and talk with that athletic trainer. And, and then when I didn't go to that game the next year and they're like, whoa, okay, he's got a different value set. And I respect that. And then I, I hope I've empowered people as well to take that step and ask for a raise and not take no for an answer and understand the feeling of rejection and to avoid it. Um, I've provided my salary and my contract. I provided the uh, seven page document I sent to my HR as to why I deserve this raise and to use those things, ask me questions. Um, I still love athletic training. I absolutely adore it. I, it's, it is who I am. It is who um, it has made me who I will be in my next profession um, and in my next career. I'll never not be an athletic trainer. Um, you know, there'll probably be a time where I'll retire my credential, um, which I actually just looked up. I am eligible to retire my credential, um, which I never thought I'd, you know, be able to say, but, um, you know, when that time comes, I'll do that, but I'll always be an athletic trainer. There's something that you're never going to be able to take for me. You know, you're never going to take those moments and those memories. And, um, and part of that is because of the community they, that is around me of, of our athletic trainers within the state, the area I'm at within the nation. Um, you know, Katie reached out to me when I left and asked if everything was okay. That's something somebody I've never met, you know, that was running for president of NETA asked me if I was okay. And, and that's something that I love about our profession is how close we are, how much we're able to communicate. Ed, you and I have probably never have met. Nope. <laughs> right. You know, unless we're athletic trainers. Yeah. And Jeremy, uh, you know, same for us, you know. I mean, my first experience with you, John, and th this goes with your character, but you're a perfect demonstration of our profession. You had posted the video of your, your medical timeout. And I remember watching you do that, me wanting to develop my own. I emailed you out of the blue. Or I DM, and you sent me an email within 12 hours with all the resources you used, and we had never talked. Yeah. And that's what I love, and that's what I'm afraid we're going to lose if this trend keeps happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, and I hope me leaving the traditional setting, not the profession necessarily, um, empowers others to, to step up. Because I think there's there's a, a lot of athletic trainers out there that were okay. John's got this. He can he can always be the person to speak up, and I may not have all the answers, but the next person potentially could step up and have better answers than me. I just had to step aside, and there's a lot of us that probably at, at a certain point we need to step aside and and allow the next person to have better ideas and to support those people. Um, and, and that's who, you know, how I hope I can, I can help out is, is allowing that next person and, and supporting them and, and hopefully, you know, giving the, the great information that I was able to and, and giving one person the ability to get that raise, which is going to give two more people the ability to get that raise, which is going to give the next person the ability to say, I'm not working these days because I work those days. And standing and, and standing up for themselves. Very good. Um, again, I think this is a conversation that we probably need to bring more people in. You know, speaking of Victoria, we probably need to have this conversation with Victoria on here. I know you mentioned uh, Spencer Connell being yeah. part of it as well. So just, it's a, you know, we do the leadership series, but this may be a, a series that we need to continue. Um, so as a listener, a viewer on Facebook, YouTube, whatever, if you want to be part of this, if you have questions about leaving the profession, if you did leave the profession, if you left the traditional setting and you have a really good story or reasons why, you can either you know message us, we can include it, you can 
uh, request to be a guest by, you know, emailing, not text messaging us. Um, and then in, we just, we want to share your story, use the podcast, the platform for something that helps the profession grow to promote the profession and it promote and improve your practice as an athletic trainer. That's, that's the whole point of the podcast. So John, I actually probably need to go back through the podcast website and change up a lot of emails because I think a lot of emails are at bloomfillhills.org. Um, yeah. So what is the best way to get a hold of you right now? Twitter is probably the best way. Um, I, 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 I'm not going to share my new email address. Um, I like how, I like how little emails there are in the inbox. It's zero. And like overall, there's like 300. Um, so reach out to me via Twitter. It's just at John Seco. Um, I'm always happy to, to reach out and have this conversation and um, share what I've learned over the last six months and, and hopefully continue to lead our profession as long as I can. Uh, definitely here in the state of Michigan, I've got, you know, three more years left of, of being potentially in, in the lead role. So I'm Jeremy Jackson. Most of the places you can find me, if you're watching this on Facebook or YouTube, you already know how to find me. If you're listening to it on the regular podcast, you already know how to find me. But Mr. Jeremy Jackson on, I think, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or Sports Medicine Broadcast. So check that out there. Chad was going to join us again, but he can't because of the new job, because he did switch professions, switch settings. Uh, so he's over there with Candid Athletic Training. Check out those guys. And then just recently I did a podcast with the AT Corner podcast guys. So Randy and Sandy over there. Check them out. Check that episode that I did with them. Make sure you like, thumbs up, heart, whatever it is, or sad face. It's, it's all cool too. All right. This is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash leaving the profession. Again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash leaving the profession with Jeremy, John Seco, Ed, and the Sports Medicine Broadcast. That is a wrap. Thanks.